Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion this morning. Uh, before we begin, I have one note about the service. Our hymn of the day, so our second hymn in the service, will be sung to an alternate tune that's not noted in your bulletin. So just listen, it'll be a familiar tune. Uh, but just so you know, it'll be an alternate tune. Uh, also during the service today, we will install our Sunday school teachers. So after the hymn of the day, Sunday school teachers, I'll invite you to come forward for that installation, um, which is also now a good time to invite you to Sunday school. There is an adult Sunday school class, um, no book required, uh, no prerequisites, just come and discuss scripture and fellowship with other Christians. So make use of that opportunity if you're able to. Uh, finally, I have a prayer request for Kara Bruscotter, who, as you remember, uh, was a young lady with breast cancer. She begins her treatment this week. So please keep her in your prayers. She's listed in our bulletin, but keep her in your prayers this week as she begins her treatment. Are there other prayer requests, other announcements for the congregation? Yeah, thank you. I know we've all been praying for him. And thank you for the update. Well, if there's nothing else, I'll invite you to take this moment to quiet your heart, to quiet your mind, listen to the prelude as we prepare to worship.
Congregation, please rise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you, thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you, and for his sake God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. God, through suffering and rejection, you bring forth our salvation, and by the glory of the cross, you transform our lives. Grant that for the sake of the gospel, we may turn from the lure of evil, take up our cross, and follow your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The first reading is from Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens me, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? The word of the Lord. We will read Psalm 116 responsibly, verse 1 through 9. 
I love the Lord who has heard my voice and listened to my supplication. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I came to grief and sorrow. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Turn again to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt well with you. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Second reading is from James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, Yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body sets on fire the cycle of nature and is by itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them, teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering 
and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you to come forward. I'm a bit wondering, question, how would you describe your parents? What's a word you would use to describe your parents? Or maybe just your mom and dad, but what would you say? Good? Well, thank you. Uh, (laughs) What are some other words you might use? Nothing? You all aren't brave enough, are you? I know. All right. All right. You're not going to play along, but I'll get to my point. I have an idea that I bet you know your parents better than the people who work with them. Do you think that's true? You think you know your parents better? No, you don't? Maybe not. Do you think you know? You've seen your parents be angry? Seen your parents be happy? seen your parents maybe be sad, you've seen your parents discipline you, you've seen your parents celebrate with you, right? Your parents live your life with, with you, right? They're close to you. You all live together, you care about each other, you spend time together. You know them in a way that people who work with them, your neighbors, even people in the congregation don't know them. Right? You know them closer and better than other people because they're your parents. You spend time with them. You love them. Well, in our gospel reading, Jesus asked his disciples, first he asked, who do people say that I am? Right? All the people out there, what do they say about me? And they say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah or another prophet. Right? And none of them are right. They're all wrong. But then, he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Peter gets it right. Well, it's the disciples. It's Peter. They're the ones who spent the most time with Jesus. They're the ones who are his friends. The ones who spend time with him, eat with him, who travel with him. So they know him 
better than the people out here. Right? And so that's also true for us. When Jesus asked us, who do you say that I am? Well, we want to get the answer right, but we get that answer right by spending time with Jesus, by being close to him, by learning who he is, learning his love for us personally, right? Not just what somebody else in church says, not just what we learn in Sunday school, not just the right answers, but our personal time with Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Right? And so in our prayers, in our worship, in our learning, that's Jesus is for us. Right? And so we learn to be close to him. And then we learn who he really is when we personally know him. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to know you Help us to love you. Amen. Thank you. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our gospel reading this morning contains quite a turn in the story. Peter, at first, comes across as the one who has been given great insight because he's able to answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? The people out there, the crowds who follow Jesus, the enemies who conspire against him, they all have their own theories. Right, maybe it's John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Maybe it's Elijah. Maybe he's one of the prophets. Maybe he's just a man. Maybe he's a demon. Maybe he's a troublemaker. There were all kinds of opinions about who Jesus was. But Peter had it right. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Peter is saying that he knows Jesus is the one who has been the hope of Israel. Jesus is the one who will reign on the throne of King David forever. Jesus is the one who has come to change the future of Israel forever. Peter gets it right. But in the very same breath, he gets it wrong. Jesus has been teaching the disciples about what awaits him. Suffering, the cross, death, resurrection. And in the same kind of brashness that allowed Peter to answer the question of Jesus, he pulls aside Jesus and he tells him, No, 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 Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. We wouldn't allow that. Peter tries to correct Jesus. Peter goes from one moment confessing that Jesus is the Christ to trying to explain to Jesus what it means to be the Christ. Peter thinks he's the expert on the matter, not Jesus. And so in return, Jesus rebukes Peter in front of the whole crowd. He rebukes him so harshly that he calls him Satan. But didn't Peter have the right answer? What happened? What is it that Peter gets so wrong? 
But it's not just that Peter hasn't been understanding the depth of Jesus' teaching, or that he doesn't understand how the future is going to unfold. It's that Peter has his mind set in the wrong place. In fact, Jesus tells him, you have set your mind not on divine things, but on human things. There is a distinction that we must make in order to faithfully follow Jesus. We need to put our mind on divine things, not on human things. It's said that to be a scientist, a philosopher, a critical thinker, one has to be able to make distinctions. Uh, an easy example of this might be if you ask someone to explain what makes a miniature poodle a dog and not a cat, right? A poodle has four legs. It's furry. It's domesticated. It'll sit on your lap. Cats have all of that. Cats do all of that. But you become someone who understands dogs and cats when you can explain why, in fact, the poodle's not a cat. Its teeth are different. It has different personality. It doesn't meow, and so on. Well, when it comes to more important questions, philosophers, theologians might be asked to explain why a certain action is good and not bad. Why does the world exist rather than not exist? What's the difference between belief and unbelief? Well, in our gospel this week, Jesus makes an important distinction for us. The things of God and the things of man. Our translation has divine things, which is fine, but the Greek literally says the things of God. So Jesus sets up a firm distinction for us. There are things of God and there are things of men. So it might be wise to listen to Jesus so we know how to discern the difference. And because Jesus is in fact the Son of God, he shows us the things of God, both in his teaching and in his living. He is God, so if we want to know the things of God, we have to start with Jesus. And this is what Peter got right in his confession. Right? You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. But now Peter is telling Jesus that the Son of God isn't going to suffer and die. That's not what the Messiah has come to do. A Christ cannot do that. And then he says, well, we're never going to let that happen to you, Jesus. Right? And Peter imagines that being of God means a kind of glory that humans crave. He imagines that godly things, things like being the Messiah, being the Christ, that these things are about wealth. They're about fame and comfort and power and authority. He has a view of God that Martin Luther calls a theology of glory. Right? Luther says that this kind of theology prefers works to suffering, glory to the cross, strength to weakness, wisdom to folly. This is to say that such a theology relies more on one's own abilities, one's, one's own strength, rather than trusting in God. And so with such a perspective, a person can start to believe that they can make themselves righteous. If only they have enough good things to do, donate enough to charity, come to church enough, avoid offending others, and so on, then they'll be all good. Well, the problem with such thinking is that it takes us away from God because it leads us to trusting ourselves or trusting this world over trusting God himself. The theology imagines that God is only present in the things that the world values. God's present only in good health. God's followers are rich. God's followers have no problems. God wouldn't bother with the lowly, the poor, the, 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 the lowly of this world. That, however, is wrong. 
Because that thinking is the same trap that Peter fell into. The truth is, as Jesus shows us, that the things of God do not begin with the wisdom and strength of men, but they begin at the cross. Our clearest picture of God is given to us by Christ, who gives up his life for the sake of the world. It is, as St. Paul says, foolishness to those who believe themselves to be wise. The power of God comes not in the might of armies. It doesn't come in the power of money. But the power of God comes to us in the form of a cross. God makes his power and his presence known through the sacrifice of emptying ourselves of power, prestige, in order to love one another. Then Christ commands his followers to take up their crosses, not because he wants them to suffer. Rather, he wants them to find the joy of his presence, the joy that we only find when we give up our lives to love him and to love our neighbor. We become more closely aligned with God when we give up ourselves Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously writes, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Sometimes that's literal. You might know the story of Maximilian Kolbe, who was a Catholic priest. He was sent to the Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz. And while there, he volunteered to take the place of a cellmate who was about to be killed. Literally, he died for the sake of his neighbor. But less dramatically, we can think of a parent who gives up hours of sleep at night to take care of a sick child. We can think of a parent who works a difficult job and long hours they don't always enjoy to make sure that their family has all that they need. We can think of a child who is kind to another child that has no friends. And the examples are endless. But this is who God has made us to be because God has made us in his image. And God's image is seen as Christ is nailed to the cross. St. Paul tells us that to set our mind on the things of God is to have that same mind of Christ who gave up everything to become a slave, a slave nailed to the cross. And when Christ was made his lowest, he actually was made his highest. And so it is for us. When we deny ourselves and give ourselves to God and to our neighbor, that's when we're closest to God. When we put the interest of others before us, God becomes most real to us. When we look foolish to the world, this is when Christ will give us our deepest peace. When we come to rely on human things, we're not living the full goodness and joy that Christ offers us. And so we always must ask ourselves, is my mind set on human things or on the things of God? Make the distinction. Be aware of that distinction. And the Holy Spirit will help you make those distinctions when you immerse yourself in the word of God, when you come to the sacrament, when you come to worship, when you pray. Pray that he will give you the understanding to know the things of God and to have the courage to set your mind on them. And to know the things of God starts with taking up your cross. It starts with denying yourself. That's a hard message. Imagine how hard it was for those first disciples. They were expecting a Christ of all glory, a Christ who would bring riches, a Christ who would bring complete peace. And then Christ tells them to take up their cross. To them, the cross meant only one thing, execution, death, humiliation. 
the cross was a death reserved for the worst of criminals. And Jesus tells them, embrace this. And he's telling you also, pick up your cross. Not the gold necklace around your neck, not the pretty image hanging on your wall, but the willingness to die yourself and to die for God. And the good news is that there's no cross that you can take up in this world that Christ has not already taken up himself. There's no temptation, no suffering, no illness, no pain, no denial that Christ does not know personally. So be comforted in knowing that whatever cross you're called to take up, Christ himself is taking it up with you. And when you take up that cross, you will never be closer to God. Amen. invite Sunday school teachers to come forward and potential Sunday school teachers if you have it in your heart to volunteer you can come up too we'll always take take Sunday school teachers all right dear friends 
God has established the church as the instrument through which his will and purpose for man may find completion. The church does not exist for itself, but for our Lord. And before ascending to the right hand of God, our Lord commissioned his followers with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. But you have agreed to serve in the ministry of teaching Sunday school for this congregation. You have been entrusted with teaching the gospel, and it's your duty to clearly make known the Holy Scriptures so that those who are entrusted to your care will be led into a knowledge of faith in Christ. So will you faithfully instruct those entrusted to your care in the word of God, giving freely of your heart, your mind, your time, and your talent, so that you may fulfill your duties to the best of your ability? If so, answer, I will, with God's help. I will, with God's help. And now you can face the congregation. Congregation. Will you commit to praying and supporting these teachers and their services to this congregation? If so, answer, we will. We will. Let us pray. O God of wisdom, in your goodness you provide faithful teachers for your church. By your Holy Spirit, give all teachers insight into your word, holy lives as examples to us all, and the courage to know and to do the truth. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's show our appreciation to, to our teachers. And you all can return. At this time, we will all stand together and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord God, Sustain us through the many troubles and trials of this world and give us the grace to take up our crosses and follow your Son. When we are tempted to deny the way of the cross, revive our trust in you. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Lord, knowing that those who teach in the church will be judged with greater strictness, bless the teachers in our synod, colleges, our seminaries. Preserve them faithful to your word that they may not stumble in what they say. Lord, in your mercy. Lord and Father, tame our tongues so that we are not a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Turn them by your spirit from cursing the people made in your likeness to instead blessing and praising you. And keep us from stumbling in what we say. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, guard the tongues of our governing authorities, especially Joseph, our president, and Richard Michael, our governor, that they may not stumble in what they say, but speak wisely, leading in accord with your will. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, you have promised that all things are possible for one who believes. In such faith, we bring before you Kara, Nancy, Roger, Mike, Troy, Donald, Donna, Ray, Jack, Nancy, Dwight, John, Marilyn, Ken, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, and Carolyn, and all others in any kind of need, asking you to grant them health and healing and strength. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, your Son, who suffered unjustly for our sins and was vindicated in his resurrection, is near to us in his body and blood and through the promises of our baptisms. Assure us that no one can contend against or declare guilty those who have been reconciled to God in Christ. Lord, in your mercy. All these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, dear Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
Merciful Father, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.